Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we come before you now, approaching your scriptures, approaching you with reverence as we approached you in worship, approaching you with glad hearts, approaching you with expectations, with expectation approaching you, knowing that you are God and we are man. So we come before you in your scriptures and we ask God that you would, that you would open our eyes that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, and that you would bear through your word transformation. That you would teach us and grow us and make us into the people you have desired. Thank you for your word, O Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Why bother? Why bother? It's a question I, I want us to, to think of throughout this sermon, just those two words, why bother? Now, Ed, uh, I've been preaching, boy, for a few years now. I'm not as young as I used to look, I will say that. I'm still kind of young, um, but I've been preaching since 2008-ish, 2008-2009, and very early... I was, I was given the task by one of my brothers in Christ, Tony Plates, um, that many of you know, to preach through the book of Hebrews. He had decided that we as a team would preach through the book of Hebrews, and he kind of put it on me to guide the flow, guide the path of that, and approach it. And at that point, I had never preached through a book as much as I would be. And I came to this conviction to preach all of the scriptures, to preach everything that's in the Bible, even when it was complicated, even when it was hard, even when it was boring to preach it because of what it is. And the truth is, we are dealing with one of those realities today. We are in a boring text. I'm just going to spell it out plainly. We are in what could be considered a boring text texts. It's okay to say that. Sometimes texts, sometimes passages in the Bible are boring. This week I was reading First Chronicles chapter 1 and 2, and admittedly, after I read through the 50th name, I was bored. So it's okay to think that. But then the question is, in the midst of the boring text, we should be asking, why are we bothering? Why Bother with this text. It's a common question nowadays. Why bother? We answer it usually with, uh, uh, you know what? We shouldn't. Something comes into our life and seemingly it's not worth it. The return is not worth the investment. And we say, you know what? I won't bother. I'll just give up on it. I often gave that answer in high school, in college, when it came to classes. That was whenever you were given the task of picking out classes, figuring out what you were going to do, the question would come to my mind, why bother with this class when I could take that one? Why bother with this one that looks boring when I could take the exciting one? My usual suspect was literature. 
Now you'll think, oh, that's, that makes sense. Books can be boring. Stories can be boring. It kind of came back to bite me because I married a young woman who focused in English and whose degree was in English and whose brother is a professor of literature at Trinity International down in Deerfield. So I kind of stuck myself in this corner where I'm surrounded with people. My mom is also an English major. She graduated with an English degree. So I've surrounded myself with all these people that have an interest in literature. And at a young age, I quit literature. I said, no more. I took it back up later. But I said, no more. And this weekend, we were discussing at 4th of July... Why I had done that. Why I had made that decision. Why I had asked, why bother, and said, you know, that's not at such a young age. Now, it's reading an article. It's this article from a professor at Northwestern. And he was talking about the reasons college students are not taking up literature classes. And one of his main points was so pivotal to what we are doing today. His main points was so often in classes, what kids are taught, high schoolers, college students, what have you, even adults at times, is the point of the class is to know the technical. The point of reading Moby Dick, the point of reading The Scarlet Letter, the point of reading works by John Steinbeck, which can be exceedingly boring, the point of reading old Greek mythology, the point of reading any book is all in the details. And the professor's point was, this is idiocy. This is foolishness. They did not write those books so we could learn about the technicalities. They wrote that so that we could appreciate the experience, so we could enjoy the story, so we could see something we had not seen before. Too many times we are taught to look at the technical and not appreciate the experience. And I'd been looking at technical stuff for years, and so when I had the question of why bother in my head, all I thought was, it's just going to be boring. And they're going to make me answer hard questions about why this character did this, or who was the enemy, or what's the exact spelling of that person's name, and I can't remember that kind of stuff. His answer, the professor's perspective was the reason that kids should take literature classes, the reason we should read books is because they will change our lives. And that it will teach us something that we would not have learned on our own and in our own experience. So then my question for us today as we approach Romans 16 and a boring text is why bother? Why are we bothering with Romans 16, 1 through 23? Well, let's take a look. Let's read there. I did not put it up on the screen because I did not want you to feel crushed by the amount of words. I figured we will, I'll just read it, we will appreciate it, and then we will proceed in that. It would be the safest, safest situation for all of us rather than feeling the weight of all these words that'll come. 16, 1, and we'll start through 16. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. 
for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apeanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All right, first and foremost, I want to make a disclaimer. I do not know if those are the actual pronunciations of all those names. I learned a long time, if you just say things confidently, generally people trust you. I do not want to betray your trust. That was just me getting through the names as fast as possible. But we just read this huge list of names, this huge long greeting, and we've probably, some of you have probably read it dozens of times before, and there's some things you can draw out of it, but you get through all of that and you say, why would we bother preaching on this? What is the point? Well, Paul is getting to the conclusion of the letter. And in this conclusion, he is seeking to deal with the two biggest issues that faced the church in Rome. And that was division and the gospel. The two big issues that they faced was that they were a divided church made up of Jews and Gentiles, and they did not mix. They were oil and water, and they did not know how to get along. And secondly, they did not know how to get along because they were not established in the gospel. So Paul is seeking to do that in this final area. And you say, how in the world does he do that? All he did was send greetings. All he did was say hi. All he did was tell them about these people. And that's, that's it. That's how he attacks the issue of division. That's how he attacks the issue of the gospel. He just introduces them. Over and over, person by person, Paul lists those he knows, those he loves, those he trusts, and those who are in Christ. Why does he do that? Why does he make this list? He's doing it because he's connecting them. He's taking these people that don't know of each other, are spread out in one of the biggest cities of that time period, are afraid of each other, are struggling with each other, don't know who to trust, don't know who to turn to, and don't know what is what, and he is saying, say hello to this person. Connect with this person. This person knows the truth. You can trust this person. You can turn to this person. This person 
nearly was willing to die with me and for me. And each name, each little note is another bridge that is connecting these people, that is, that is being built through Paul's words, through potential strangers or possible enemies. Now, isn't that odd? Isn't that odd that Paul's introduction of trustworthy people comes at the very end of the letter? That it comes so late, you, you think, oh, wouldn't you, this is a church divided. This is a church where they, this, this whole city is filled with a church that does not know each other. Wouldn't it have been easier to put that all at the beginning? Wouldn't it have been easier to tell the people, hey, you know, I understand you're struggling with division. You know, go talk to Stachus. He will help you out. Or she, I can't remember if that's a girl or a guy. Go and talk to them. They will, they will connect with you in Christ and you'll, you'll be great. Wouldn't it have made more sense and born unity quicker? The answer is, you know, it might have been easier. It might have been easier, but it wouldn't have been unity. All that would have happened if Paul had switched the way this letter was developed and put these introductions at the beginning, introductions at the beginning all it would have done was created a church that was unified in trusting Paul. One of our songs we sang before the sermon was, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." They would not have been able to sing that song if they were just trusting in Paul's recommendations. They would not have been able to know true unity if they would have just gotten together with a group of people that they heard were good people. No, rather, Paul wanted the unity that they would have to not be based on him, but rather on the gospel, which is why he's written the letter as he has, which is why he introduces them last, before, before saying goodbye, before the, before the final worship of the chapter. He introduces them here because he wants to teach them about the truth of Christ. He wants to explain the gospel. He wants to make clear the importance of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. He wants to make clear the problem of their sin and the necessity of the cross. He wants to make clear the differences between Jew and Gentile and how that did not matter in Christ. And he does all of that first. Because otherwise... Nothing would have made sense. Think of it like a wedding. Many of you have been to weddings. Many of you have been in weddings. And there is a general schedule to a wedding day, which I think of as the proper schedule. This is what I would call the proper schedule. You have the wedding, the ceremony, then you have photos, and then you have a party. Now, some people would do photos before wedding, but I think of photos before the wedding as a lie to your future children or to your family. Because what you're saying is that, look at these beautiful, beautiful pictures of us when we were married. You weren't married. You were just taking pictures together. No, what is happening, the proper Strubing certified, Scott Strubing certified, proper schedule for a wedding is you have the wedding, and you take pictures of the bride and groom together, and then you celebrate it. You celebrate it then because you are celebrating the marriage. You are celebrating what is happening in the picture of what it is. 
And that's what Paul has done. He has scheduled his letter out perfectly to put the supremacy of the gospel first and then to connect a divided church through names last of all because he knew the gospel was the only means to connect them. Now, after the introductions, after all that is said, all those Greek and Jewish names are listed that are hard to say, but we try and say them anyways. After, there, after we learn a lot of things about what is happening and the connections Paul has with the people in Rome, there comes a warning in 17 through 20. And Paul wants them to, in their unity, to still be cautious, to still watch out. And so we read in 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and by flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul goes from unity to explain how they are to continue in it, how they are to watch out for division, how they are to be aware that false teachers could still arise and that they needed to watch for them and that they needed to overcome them. But the question is, how were they to overcome them? What were they to do? And verse 19 is very clear. Describes exactly what Paul's expectation was. He says in the second part of it, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Two things he says. Be wise and be innocent. Now before we dig into that, I, I want to spend a lot of time there with the rest of the sermon. Before we dig into that phrase, note how he starts that whole line. Notice how he starts 19. Your obedience is known to all. Your obedience is known to This is a line that he has said over and over again since chapter 1. The people in Rome were known for their love of Christ. They were known for their obedience to the gospel. They were known for their faith. And Paul is not questioning that. He will not question their faith when division or when false false teachers arise. He knows that they possess it. He knows that they love Christ. And so he begins there saying, this is true. Now be. So I want us just to begin there. Just remember, in the midst of everything, in the midst of these types of statements, it always begins with faith. If that is not first true, nothing else is true. Paul was confident in their obedience and he gave them instruction. I give instruction based on confidence and obedience. And for those who will lack obedience to Christ, I start there. We start there. First and foremost, when we teach you from the scriptures, our expectation as we teach 
is that you start by placing your faith and trust in Christ. Because without that, nothing will occur. Nothing will occur. This is all moot. This is all nothing if you have not first trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. And Paul himself says he is confident in that. So then he proceeds. Now, before we get into the bees, Paul finishes off his letter. He just says the following. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipur, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. Paul is just finishing by saying, there are so many people who love you. There are so many people who care for you. There are so many people that are behind you. And he would not give these instructions. He would not speak to them if that were not true. So, all that to say, it would be very easy to say, why bother with this text? It would be so easy. There was a greeting, there was a warning, and then there were a bunch of leaders talking about how they loved the city. It would be so easy to pass by it and learn nothing from it. To get caught up in this technical, to say, oh, you know what? There is a name there, Apanitus, who was also listed in blank. Like, it would be very easy to get distracted with details like that, get caught up in the technical, and completely lose sight of the experience. Completely lose sight of what is happening here and how we can bring it to bear on our own life. How we can grow from it. So we are going to answer why bother with 16, 1 through 23. Why bother with it? Let's go back to 19. Verse 19 and Paul's desire. This is why we should bother. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Paul's desire, Paul's longing for them is the same longing he has for us. It is the longing that I have for you. It is the longing that Christ has for his church. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. What do these mean? Well, the first one, be wise as to what is good. Being wise. What does that mean? This does, this is not just being aware of good. It is not knowing that there are good things to do. It is being wise to it. It is deep understanding. It is practical knowledge built up by intensive study and immersion in that which is good. It is seeing it and saying, ah, there is no other choice than to do that. The effect, the implications. It is seeing how good bears out in life. It is seeing what it will do and why it is doing it. It is apprehending the effects 
of goodness, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And that is where Paul starts by telling us, be wise as to what is good. Now, why start there? Why start there? Why is that the first thing that Paul instructs them in? Well, there's a very simple answer. One of the greatest and most common temptations you will face in this life will hinge itself on one simple question. Did God really say? Did God really say? Over and over, again and again, I can guarantee you in this life, you will hear these four words. Did God really say? And then follow it with something. Did God really say? Dot, dot, dot. Say, well, why that question? Well, just think back. When Eve was tempted in the garden, the question that was asked of her by the serpent hinged on that. Did God really say? And then he followed up with to not eat from the tree. And you know what her answer was? And Adam's answer, additionally, in a way, silence. They did not respond with God's actual words. There was some little bit of hold up, but no real answer. And it continues. When the world is seeking to define what is right, the question that is asked of us is, did God really say, When we are called to compromise on our principles, we are asked, did God really say? When our government is seeking to define what marriage is, according to what they want to, we are asked, did God really say? And when we are specifically tempted to sin, did God really say? Over and over, ignorance of God's word and the good it bears in our hearts and in our life is the means that Satan leverages against God's people to weaken them, break them, cause them to sin, shame them, and destroy them. And we are facing it all the time, and the answer to the problem is, is right in front of our faces. The answer to the question, did God really say, is right there. Now, since we have time, I'm going to include a little aside here. What do we do when God, the question comes up, did God really say? Well, we look at someone who answered them. And you can look to Luke chapter 4. We're not going to go there, but I just want you to consider the one person who was victorious mightily over these types of questions was Jesus Christ. Now he did not, Satan did not ask Jesus, did God really say, but he distorted the scriptures. He distorted the view of God and he sought to tempt Jesus in the desert concerning food, concerning power, and concerning his faith in God. And Jesus' answers every time did not center on ignoring Satan. They did not center on walking away from them. No, they centered on the scripture. All Jesus did in the desert was quote scripture at Satan, quote scripture at the enemy, quote scripture at his sins and at his, his 
failings. And the question is, do we do that? I don't do it as often as I should. And I think that's the big thing that he starts by telling us. We are to be wise as to what is good. And we start to be wise by knowing his word. Second, Paul desires that they be innocent to what is evil. Be wise as to what is good. Be innocent at to, as to what is evil. And this is a simple concept, really. There's, there's not much complication here. We overcomplicate this. We overthink this. This is just telling us to confess and repent. To overcome and root out the sin in our lives. To check our failings at the door and recognize these are the things that I am doing that are contrary to God's purposes and I must stop them. The process of stopping them is hard, but we must pursue that. Why? Why does Paul call us to that? His reason are is we are sponges. We are sponges. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I remember learning to wash cars as a child. I can remember helping out with that. And I don't know if it was my dad or my brothers that taught me. It was more likely my dad, but I have a feeling that my brothers employed me as a miniature slave to assist them on the lower portions of the car because I was short for a very long time. But I remember learning to wash cars, and there were two simple rules for me when I was washing the car. And the first one was to use a clean sponge to make sure my sponge was full of soapy water. And if it started to look dirty, to wash it out and get more soapy water on that. So that was rule one. And rule two was more of a question that was asked of me. And that was, is that sponge clean? And you think, why, why was that the, the two rules? Well, little Scott was a Butterfingers. And you would start washing, and then the sponge would hit the ground. And then the question is, do I just pick it up and start using it again? Do I just go with it? You know, it's, the ground looks pretty clean. That gravel is okay. Those bits of sand, that's all right. I'll be fine scrubbing the car. And I, I remember the first time dropping the sponge and picking it up and seeing it covered in grit. And asking either my dad or my brothers, is it okay if I just use this? And just the horror on their face. Because just imagine, just imagine doing that. Yesterday I saw a car covered in what looked like the scratch marks of a child trying to draw a UFO on it. That was all I could picture me doing at that young age. Was taking that sponge full of sand and gravel and just leaving little little lines over and over back and forth on that car how worthless is a sponge covered in gravel in sand and abrasives it's no longer suited to the purpose it has it will just ruin the car and in fact it'll tear up the sponge too all that grit will just carve away and damage that sponge. Paul's point is, Paul's point, my point in the illustration is, if we refuse the pursuit of innocence when it comes to evil, 
And when it comes to our lives, we will damage and destroy. That's all we will do. If you, if you seek to be wise to what is good, but complacent as to what is evil, or welcoming as to what is evil, or unaware of what is evil, you are going to cause harm. You are going to cause damage. I want to put a caveat here. I am not saying by that, do not approach evil. I'm not saying do not go out into the world and preach the gospel to those who are far from God. I'm not saying distance yourself from friends who do not know Christ. Do that. But in so doing, clean yourself first. Make sure your sponge is right so that as you go out into the world, you do not corrupt, you do not damage, you do not destroy. Because that's what we'll do. That is what we will do if we have embraced evil, if we are convicted and have evil present in us, as Paul is calling against. The question then becomes, how do we accomplish those? If Paul is calling us to be wise and to be innocent, the question becomes, how? How do I, how should I be wise? How should I be innocent? And the answer is simply, be absorbed. Be absorbed with the word of God. Be absorbed in community. Be absorbed in Christ. Let that saturate you. Let that seep in you. I was always fascinated. This is, this is going to sound really nerdy. I was fascinated with sponges. Still am. I just really like watching a sponge fill completely with water and just drip. Like you can hold it vertical and it pours out a little more water. You hold it horizontal and it doesn't drip out as much. But I was always fascinated by that. I remember when I was in chemistry in 10th grade, 10th, 10th grade, learning that that's it's called supersaturation. And supersaturation is when you've taken in so much of something that you can no longer hold it in. That the sponge has so absorbed water that it just leaks it. It bleeds it. It cannot hold it in any longer. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to be absorbed. This week I was reading the book of Colossians. I started reading slowly through Colossians along with First Chronicles. And I was reading Colossians chapter 1 in this text. It just goes perfectly alongside Romans 16. And this is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. He says, excuse me. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Let's think of that first off. Since Paul heard about this church His passion for them has been through prayer. And he just goes to the Lord over and over again. He prays for them. And this was his prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See it there. Be absorbed. Asking that you may be filled. That's, 
That's where Paul starts. We are to be filled. But what? Filled with what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the good. Paul wants us, God wants us to be filled with truth. With the wisdom of God. With goodness. And not only does he want us to be filled with it. He wants it to do something. He wants us to be innocent. That's what he says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That phrase, every time I read that phrase, I stop and just think. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? And he says, fully pleasing to him, which we are in Christ. Bearing fruit in every good work, a goal we should seek. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Be absorbed. Be absorbed. Be wise. Be innocent. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 pushes us towards that. We must engage. We must soak in the scriptures. We must soak in prayer. We must meditate on the things of God. We need to pursue God. We need to turn to them as they are. God's means of speaking to us. God's means of meeting us and communicating with us. And in turning to them and valuing them, they shall affect us. When I was 19, I started reading the Bible for the first time by myself. And my, my memories of that is I would be in my, on my bed reading, and I had a headboard. I had this wooden headboard. And what I would do is every time I came to a passage that struck me, that I just felt like God is, God is speaking something important to my life right now through this passage that I'm supposed to work out, I'm just going to make a note of it. And so I had a little bunch, I had a bunch of sticky notes of various colors. And I didn't color coordinate at all, I just went for it. And so I just remember, as I would read, as I read through Romans, as I read through Colossians, as I read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, I would just make little notes about the character of God and something that was either distinct, new, or transformative for me. And I remember just this this little twin-sized bed headboard, I just filled up with sticky notes because it was the first time that I was truly experiencing God's word through the means of the Holy Spirit and understanding it deeply. And that's what, that's what we're being called to. That's what God is inviting us into, and that's what he is, he is bringing to us through his scriptures. And we have this richness before us and the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? And I think the answers are never good, to be quite honest. I know my answers are never good. Anytime I've missed or neglected, it's never because I have a good answer. It's always because I've been selfish or self-centered or lost track of what is accomplished through God's word. So why bother? Why bother with Romans 16? 
an odd passage. It's kind of boring. Why bother with it? Well, I say bother with it because we can learn about God's desire for his church. We can learn about how God worked through Paul to establish his church in unity. We can learn about all these people who Paul knew and loved and said were integral to the unity of the church so that when we look around and when we think about what is integral to the unity of Cross Point Church, we think first and foremost the gospel. And then second, we think of all of the people that we love and know. All of the names that we could list. And every name that matters to our hearts because what of what Christ has done. Why bother with it? Because it speaks into our situation right now. And it calls us to be good, to hear, to know, and be true. And he does it in that excellent way. Be wise, be innocent. And as I added, be absorbed. But let's not stop there. That's the why bother of Romans 16. Let me ask the why bother of the Bible. Why bother with the scripture? Why challenge yourself to read the word of God? Why take up God's word day by day, grow in it, think upon it, meditate upon it, and love it as we should? Why bother? The answer is, it is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. It does not say, hey, here's a handy book to keep around for advice. It does not say, do I learn some wise principles? Check this thing out. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And what that means is that if you want to hear from God, if you are going to seek God, if you desire to learn more of the truths of God, who he is, and what he demands from the world and gives to the world, the answer to that question is his scriptures. And it's given to us. And it's accessible. Why bother with it? Because in it we find life. In it we find Freedom, in it we find wisdom, in it we are taught innocence, in it we find grace, we find joy, we learn the truths of Christ. We bother because we can experience it. It's not something to take up as just a technical guidebook. Just learn some notes on, understand the Jewish people better. Understand what Christ did better. No, it is this book we are to experience and then live out. So I commend to you, engage it, seek it, love it, know where it is from and who it is to, and enjoy the grace God gives. Be wise, be innocent, be absorbed in his truth. Then you will see through what is false and connect with what is true. And the times that you bother to interrupt yourself, to delay your day a little bit, to stop thinking about the things of this world and think, the, think of God's kingdom a little bit, the times that you bother will bear much 
fruit. Pray with me. Lord God, this is your word. Your scriptures. And they are not always the most enjoyable scriptures. Sometimes because they are difficult. Sometimes because they are challenging. Sometimes they are hard to read. Sometimes because they are boring. But they are yours. And you speak to us through them. And we ask, Lord, that as as we close this series next week, and as we consider your word day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, that in our approach, we would not come to you just looking for facts. That we would not come to you just looking for quick answers. That we would not come to you just looking for the details of what happened. But rather that we would come for experience. That we would come to see and savor. That we would come to taste of your love. To hear your truth. And to be transformed through it. Lord, we we thank you for your word. We pray that as we, as we take this up into our hearts, that you would make us wise, that you would make us innocent, and that you would fill us, that we would be absorbed with you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for all that he bears us through your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Our benediction comes from Colossians 1. As I get there. Please bow your heads to receive the benediction. This is my prayer for you. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be wise, may you be innocent, and may you be absorbed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.